Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. When you were greeting, we were attempting to play the Steve Perry song, and uh, we were playing the song Foolish Hearts. And I think somebody might have thought it was a mistake and hurried up and erased it off of there because we can't be playing that song in church. But how many of you are old enough to remember when the band Journey hit the scene? Anybody? Come on, right? You remember that? And Steve Perry with that voice that just echoed. I know the rest of you are listening to Christian music, and I apologize for a minute, but... uh, And Steve Perry, man, that voice, right? And he started singing these songs that we now call power ballads. Uh, He's the one that kind of started those. And and Don't Stop Believing, does that ring a bell? It's kind of become our new national anthem, everybody. Every generation knows that song. And then he sang this song, Foolish Hearts. And as I was looking at when I couldn't help it when I was writing this, I kept thinking of that song and singing that song. So I finally, I wanted to Google the lyrics because I thought I was singing the right lyrics. But have you ever thought you were singing the right lyrics and, and then looked them up and you're like, what? <laughs> Come on. How many of you have ever tried to sing the lyrics to Rocket Man? Let me see your hands. You know you don't know the words. Come on now, all right? So anyway, so I looked them up, and uh, I'm telling you, the lyrics of this song perhaps should have been in one of the Psalms. It's almost like David could have wrote these lyrics. Let me see them. He says this. He says, foolish heart, hear my calling. Stop before you start falling. Mm -mm -mm. Foolish heart. Heed my, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> foolish heart, heed my warning. You've been wrong before. Don't be wrong anymore. Man, that sounds like uh, David wrote a psalm, doesn't it, right? I mean, it's crazy how powerful those lyrics are. So by a show of hands, I'm curious, how many of you have ever had a foolish heart? Let me just see your hands. All right, only about 20% of you raised your hands. All right, I guess I'm just talking to you. How many have ever done something foolish? Let me see your hands. Oh, that's better. I still can't get 100%. How many are going to raise your hand no matter what I ask you? Let me see your hand. Aha! Okay, that's... Lord, help the rebels in the room, all right? This is an interactive sermon, everybody, okay? Um, man, I know I've done some foolishness. I shared this story once before, so, but, but it's one of the things that foolishness, it just comes up to me. I was a guest speaker at a youth conference in... And it was my first outside speaking gig. And, and, and it was at a hotel, and, uh, and, and at, uh, we were all staying in the hotel. and had a big ballroom. And there was about 2,500 youth pastors from around the region and youth workers. And I got to be the Saturday morning keynote speaker. Man, I, I was starting to believe my own press, you know. They had me set up in a nice room on the top floor. And so that morning, I came down to do my gig, and the band was playing, the place was packed, the the whole hotel was rented just for all of us. It was an exciting time. I I got to about the ballroom and realized I forgot my Bible and my notes, which is something kind of important to use. And, And I know you think that I have the whole Bible memorized and I didn't need it. Oh, there wasn't a single amen on that one. Bummer. 
Man, I was waiting for the amen on that. But anyway, I have the whole New Testament memorized, but I was preaching out of the Old Testament. Anyway, I forgot my notes, so, and the band was playing, and as soon as the band was done, they were going to introduce me, and I was going to go. So all of a sudden, my casual stroll down to the ballroom, I, I, I began to panic. And so I turned around, went to get back on the elevator. Now, let me give you a little time out. I have a little issue with elevators, everybody. Anybody else have any issues with elevators? Oh, good. Let me talk to you guys, all right? See, I've been stuck on a couple elevators. And the first time I was ever stuck on an elevator, I was only nine years old and I was all by myself. And, and so I have this little phobia, okay, everybody? So now let's get back to the story. So I went to the elevator, noticed that I was the only one getting on the elevator because everybody else was at the ballroom. I pushed the button to my floor, and, and the elevator began to go up, and I'm standing there. And now I'm already anxious because I'm like, oh, no. What if they're introducing me, and I'm on the elevator still? And the elevator started going up. You know, it has that sensation like it's going up. And then all of a sudden, it felt like it stopped. And it sounded like the doors opened, but the doors didn't open. So I'm imagining, you know, on elevators, there's like two sets of doors. I'm thinking, uh-oh, the outside doors are opening, but the inside doors aren't. It made the sound like the doors were opening, but it didn't open. And I thought, okay, it's too soon to panic. And then all of a sudden, it jerked, and it, it was like it started going up again. And then it, it felt like it stopped, and it sounded like the doors opened again, but the doors didn't open. And now I'm kind of freaking out. How many of you are freaking out for me right now? Where's my elevator queens? All right, there you go. And, and so the third time it did it again, and it acted like it was going to open, and now I can hear voices outside of the elevator door, and I'm in a full panic. And I'm like, hey, the elevator's stuck, thinking somebody would hear me out there. And all of a sudden, from in back of me, I heard this sweet little voice that said, Sir, the elevator's not stuck. Now, before I had time to spin around, every hair on my body stood at attention. Matter of fact, that's when I lost my hair. I had a full afro, and it just gave up on that day, all right? And all of a sudden, I spun around to see two of the ladies that work at the hotel cleaning rooms. Kind of, you could tell they had this look on their face like, whoa, huh? They said, sir, the elevator's not stuck. And as I spun around, I realized I was in a double-sided elevator that had doors on the other side. <laughs> Foolish hearts, hear me come. Right, everyone? Yeah, foolishness. I felt really bad as I was going then to go speak, and people are pointing at me like, he's that guy. Yeah, he's the one. Well, that's what I want to talk about today. It's not so much foolish activities, but foolish hearts. And how many know when our hearts are foolish, our activities have a tendency to be foolish, right, everybody? A foolish heart is a heart that lacks wisdom. Um, a foolish heart is one that ignores counsel. It's, it's believing that I've lived long enough that nobody can tell me anything that's important. It's a foolish heart. Uh, a, a foolish heart believes lies instead of the truth. Now, I know I'm talking to Christians in the room today, and not a single Christian would ever say, I believe in lies over the truth. But a foolish heart has a tendency to be bent toward lies. Here's another thing about foolish hearts is foolish hearts are often blindsided. 
I don't want to be the kind of Christian, and I, I, I become a little concerned in our society today. I, I think we have some, not at all, but I think we have this certain proclivity to be Christians that love to come to church and hear good preaching as long as that good preaching doesn't challenge me into spiritual formation. In other words, preach me a good sermon, pastor, but don't meddle in my business. Preach a good sermon, but don't make me accountable. I'd rather live with a foolish heart. Our theme verse is Proverbs chapter 4, verse number 23, and you know it by now, above all else, I hope you're memorizing it, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. A foolish heart, it not only needs wisdom, but how many know there's a difference in knowing, having knowledge, right, and then applying that knowledge? A foolish, heart, a foolish heart can be sitting in a room like this hearing Bible information and not applying the things that we're learning. See, it's not about what we hear. It's more about what we do. Matter of fact, Proverbs 4, 7. I'm going to give you a lot of verses right up front. It says, wisdom is supreme. So acquire wisdom, and whatever you acquire, acquire understanding. One of the translations says, do all that you need to do to acquire wisdom. I like this translation because it used the word supreme. Wisdom is supreme. Now, the word supreme in the original Hebrew writing means skilled living. Now, that reads a little different, huh? Wisdom is skilled living. So get all the wisdom that you can. It's different than knowledge. It's the ability to apply the knowledge that we get. Come on, we're living in a time where knowledge is coming at us, right? Information is coming at us all the time. So it's not a matter anymore about getting the knowledge. It's now a matter of applying the knowledge that we have. Let me say it this way. Knowledge builds a house, but wisdom builds a home. How many know there's some difference, right? Let me quote the great Billy Graham. I hope I'll get an amen out of you on this one. Billy Graham said this. He said, knowledge is horizontal. It's this way. But wisdom is vertical. It comes down from above. How many think we need some supernatural wisdom in the world we're living in today, right? Proverbs 26, I said I'd give you a bunch of verses, says this. Do you see a person wise in their own eyes? Uh, we used to call them smart alecks, right? They're, they're just, or know-it-alls, yeah? They're just, they, they know everything. You can't tell them anything. Do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for them. If that didn't get you, let me give you one more quote by the great Saint Mike Tyson. All right, everybody? Mike Tyson said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. We all think we got a plan together, and then life just punches us in the face. Come on, how many know that's right? Yeah? Life will punch you in the face and keep on punching you. And that's why we need wisdom. That's why we need counsel. That's why we still need mentors and friends and coaches and life groups. Right, everyone? I think that's why the New Testament says that a new Christian shouldn't be given spiritual authority. Because we still need people over our lives. Now, I don't know about you, but it took me a long time to accept instruction. Um, it took me even longer to ask for 
some advice or to ask for some instruction. And, and I thought about that. Was, did I have a rebellious heart? No, it wasn't a rebellious heart. Uh, but why, why didn't I ask for or why didn't I accept instruction? And, and the truth of the matter is, and I think there's some people in the room like this perhaps, but I didn't have the ear of a son. You see, I grew up without a lot of parental authority in my life. My dad was absent, and my mom, because of her working schedule, was pr primarily absent. And, and I was the Christian in the home. I was the one trying to make right decisions on my own. But I didn't learn to ask questions, and I didn't learn to receive instruction. I just learned by trial and error. Did anybody else learn that way? Nobody showed me how. I just went and did it. Anybody can relate to that? And so what happened to me consequently is I didn't learn to ask. I didn't learn to receive instruction, and it later got me in trouble because the issue of my heart was that I had a foolish heart. And I have watched wise people, and one of the things I've noticed about wise people is no matter how much they know or how successful they are or how old they get, they keep asking questions. They're still curious about life. It's like they show up to life as a freshman with a piece of paper and they just keep on asking questions, right? Proverbs 9, 9 says this way, instruct, uh, instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. See, wise people say, no, I haven't arrived. I still have a long ways to go. I opened up Friday night with, hey, guys, I want you to know this new building will eventually become our ceiling, and we'll have to break through it just like we broke through this, right? In other words, we got to just keep on going. See, I have noticed in life when you correct a fool, they will ignore you. Mm -hmm. In fact, I, I really don't give advice unless I'm asked of advice. You've showed up here, and that's the assumption that you're asking for wisdom today. But if you correct a wise person, they will thank you. Isn't it true? Jesus said something very powerful that relates to this series. He says, whatever's going on in the heart is eventually going to come out outside. It's going to come out of the mouth. See, what's going on on the inside, eventually it will manifest on the outside. Jesus said it a whole lot better. He said in Luke chapter number 6, verse number 45, a good man brings good things out of the good that's been stored up in his heart. Mm -hmm. Right now, you're at the faith bank. You're storing up good in your heart. You're storing up the Word of God. You're storing up wisdom. You're storing up instruction. And an evil man brings things out of the evil stored up in his heart. Somebody doesn't just accidentally do some crazy thing. No, it's been stored up. It's been simmering. It's been brewing in their heart for a long time. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Woo, I didn't mean to say that. Yeah, but it was in your heart. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. And so we, we have learned in this series, or maybe, maybe learned is a little stretch. We've either learned or we've been reminded that our feelings, our desires, our passions, and our thoughts, they all flow out of the heart. So let me do a little tiny bit of recap and just kind of connect the dots. So if we have a restless heart, then what flows out of that restless heart is this never being satisfied, always looking, never finding, always bouncing from one thing to the next. 
If we have a broken heart, what flows out of a broken heart oftentimes is just discouragement. I'm discouraged. I've lost my courage because I'm broken on the inside. We've talked about a bleeding heart, and a bleeding heart is very complicated. It's wounded. It's still bleeding. It's either bleeding externally or it's bleeding internally. But a, but a bleeding heart is a heart that doesn't have resolve to the issues and the accidents and the incidents of life. It has no resolve to why I was abandoned. It has no resolve to the complications of life, and oftentimes that will manifest in anger. And then today is the foolish heart. And the foolish heart, it ignores counsel. It, 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 it believes the lies that the enemy tries to tell us. So let me walk you through what I think are some simple points, but uh, I, I think it'll help us if you're dealing with this. Um, and, and, and if you're not dealing with a foolish heart, let me give you some things to beware of so that your heart doesn't become foolish. You see, it's what we're putting in that determines whether it'll be wise or not. And so uh, I, I think our hearts become foolish when, number one, when our expectations for the future are built on the failures of the past. Now, I know none of you do this, but how many might know somebody that's done this before, right? Yeah, yeah. A foolish heart is when the expectations about a bright tomorrow are still clouded by the storm we just came out of yesterday. Right? When, when we use, you've heard me say this many times, it's the best illustration I have, but when we use the measuring stick from the past to measure the future, then we can't go any further in the future than we did in the past because we're measuring everybody, everything, every place, every marriage, every circumstance, every relationship based on the measuring stick of how the last person, place, or thing added up. It's time that we break those measuring sticks and throw them away and recognize that we serve a God who is able to do exceeding abundant far more than we can ask or imagine, and he redeems our past and writes our future. Amen? See, we'll never move. And, and so you see people, 30, 40, 50, 60 years old, still wandering around. It's almost like they're singing the YouTube song, the YouTube song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Just wandering around because it's always about the past and the spouse did me wrong and the job did me wrong and the church did me wrong and you're stuck where the hurt occurred. See, I'm not minimizing that somebody did you wrong and I know it sounds like I'm not being sympathetic. What I'm trying to get you to see is that you're still stuck where the hurt occurred and you're 50 years old and the hurt occurred when you were 15 it's time to move on. Can I get an amen? amen. you got to move past the hurt. See, that's where generational curses come from. Because we keep measuring, well, that's how dad did it. And that's how his dad did it. And that's kind of the family I grew up in. And so this generational, I hate to use the word curse, but this generational cycle, it just continues. And you wonder, why am I acting like the very thing I swore I'd never act like? I swore I'd never yell at my kids, and I'm pointing at them right now, and veins are popping out of my head. It's generational girl. I'll give you a lighter example. I could have dove really into this, but I come from a long line of fighters. Now, fighters can be good, but fighters and brawlers and violent individuals. My mom was a tough woman. She had to be. 
dropped out of school when she was in the eighth grade. She had to learn how to survive. She was a fighter. Her mom was a fighter. They joked about all the women on their side of the family that had what they called the Broussard curse. They were all fighters. They would tear you up. I don't know any man that would stand up to my four foot eleven mom. I'm telling you. She was a fighter. My dad was a fighter. My grand, his dad was a fighter. Was actually a Golden Gloves champion. Was a war, World War II war hero. Uh, there's articles about him in Bellingham riding his Harley through the front door of a bar and starting ballroom brawls. So I come from that. Now if you mix that with my proclivity and my model and my wiring and my upbringing... And I've already told you that anger was one of the issues I had to really work on in my life. You can see how easily it could be for the generational curse, come on now, just to continue to happen no matter how bad I didn't want it to happen unless I add some wisdom to my foolish heart. My foolish heart is going to keep manifesting what has always been manifested. Come on, are you guys hearing me today? See, really, I'll say it in the words of Patty, I needed to wise up. (laughs) But isn't that the case for a foolish heart? I needed to wise up. Wise up isn't getting knowledge. Knowledge is saying, oh, I shouldn't act like that. Wisdom is applying the principles. Mm. It's amazing, and I don't mean this uh, maybe the way uh, it might come out, but people ask me sometimes, hey, how do I... And I'm like, man, I just preached on that. you got to take those principles and you got to apply them. All I can do is give you the info. (laughs) you got to turn the information into revelation by activating. Oh, that's pretty good. By (laughs) activating it, right? Uh, It's just knowledge and, and the information becomes revelation when you apply it into your life, right? Um... When I was learning to golf, some of you heard me talk about golfing last week. Uh, when I was learning to golf, the, the, my first church, the board wanted me to golf. And um, so they bought me a golf set of clubs on, for my birthday, and they took me out golfing. And, and uh, they said, while you're learning how to golf, we're going to give you one mulligan per nine holes. How many golfers are out there? You think, that's pretty generous, right? And not only did they give me one mulligan, they gave me what was called a pastor privilege shot. I I like that. A pastor privilege. Now, a mulligan was just a do-over. Come on. How many of you have taken unauthorized mulligans? Let me see your hand. Don't lie in church now. Come on now, all right? And and so so I had mulligans, but then I had a a pastor privilege. And I said, well, what's a pastor privilege? They said, well, you're our pastor, and you suck at golfing, so we're going to give you a pastor privilege. And and they said, so whenever your ball is like kind of in a weird spot, like behind a tree or in a lake or on a cactus, wherever it is, you have the right as a pastor privilege just to kick it out from behind that tree. And none of us will see you do that. I may have taken more of those than I was supposed to, but it it was a mulligan, and that's how I learned how to golf better because I got some do-overs in life. I got some mulligans in life. I want you to know today you got to quit measuring your bad shots because God's grace is a mulligan. It says, I've forgotten that. It's time to do it all over again, right? Amen, everybody. I don't want this to come out wrong, but I, we don't care as a church where you came from. I mean, we sympathize, but we don't care. I mean, if you start looking around this church and getting to know people's stories, people's stories look like the, the, the bar scene from Star Wars. I mean, we got all kind of weird people in here. Come on. We got people that have come out of prison, and we got people that have come out of church that both struggle with some of the same things. 
See, so we don't care where you came from. What Radius cares about is where you're going. And if we can get you on the journey, and every week we can just help you take one step closer to your destiny. Amen, everybody? Come on now. And, you know, I know you come through tough times. I've heard so many of your stories, but I really, without this sounding cheesy and cliche, I really believe that your setback can really become your setup to tee life off again. Amen? It's a mulligan, everybody. Our heart becomes foolish when we, number two, when we believe lies that we are told. We hear a lot of lies. I'll give you an illustration out of my life. Uh, when my mom and dad divorced, um, I, I heard a lot of lies about my dad. And, and I was constantly told how, how bad of a person he was. And how mean and how violent and how just a bunch of stuff. And for years and years, your dad is this and your dad is that. I wasn't allowed to find him, wasn't allowed to reach out to him. I was just told all these terrible stories. And they were reinforced because when uh, my mom brought me to California, my dad was still living up here in Washington, and, and he was trying to find us. He didn't know where we were. And he drove down to California, and he found us. And I'd been told so many lies that one day I was getting off the bus at my bus stop, and I seen my dad in a car. He had drove all the way from here looking for me. I pretended like I didn't see him. I wanted to go talk to him, but I was believing all the lies. And I had been told, if you ever see your dad run, because he'll kidnap you, and he'll do all these things to you, and you'll never see your mom again. And so what happened is I missed out on some segments of my life because I believed a lie that I had been being told. Fast forward a number of years later, I have my own son and a little airplane lands on the Bellingham airport for the first time to me ever see my dad again. And I get off the airplane, we're walking down the steps and in Bellingham you get off on the outside and you walk to the terminal and as I was walking, my knee, I, literally, I was in a full-on panic because I'm going to meet this dad that all I remember is playing hide-and-go-seek and Hot Wheels and go-karts and mini-bikes and all those things. But somehow, I had these good memories, but I was being told bad lies. And so I wasn't sure he was going to like me. I wasn't sure. And as I walked toward the terminal, it was a big window. Uh, it, it, it was, uh, 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 had black uh, tinting on the window, so I couldn't see in. And I didn't know what to do. I was, I, was, I was so nervous, I didn't know what to say. Do I call him dad? Do I shake his hand? Will he hug me? Will he be glad to see me? I didn't know. As I walked toward that, if I could have disappeared right then, if, if I knew he wouldn't have been on the other side of the window, I would have got right back on that airplane and flew out because the lies began to overwhelm me. Well, I walked through that door and we embraced and the rest is history and God restored a relationship. But I tell that story because what was happening in my life is happening in all of our lives on a spiritual level. There is an enemy that is constantly trying to defame God. He is constantly trying to get you to believe the lies about God. He's con See, he doesn't want you to know the heart of the Father. He wants you to believe the lies about the Father. He wants you to believe lies about the Father like he doesn't really care 
care, like he doesn't really hear, like he's really not engaged. He wants you to believe the lies that he's a mean God. He's a judgmental God. He wants you to believe all kind of lies that are floating around in our culture today. Why? Because he's terrified of who you will become if you ever get to really embrace the true heart of the Father. Come on, everybody. Right? He's afraid of that. In fact, the Bible tells us in John 8, 44, I won't read all of this, but you can take a picture. The devil was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth. He's the father of lies. That's all he does is lie. He's an accuser. Mm -hmm. Don't see yourself for the lies that the devil says. See yourself for who God... Why is it so easy to believe the lie rather than the truth? What, what, what is that? Mm -hmm. See, I believe the lie. You've heard me tell the story before. I thought my dad left because I wrecked the go-kart. And, and I thought they divorced because of the mistakes I made. So then he began to leverage that and lie to me and, and tell me if I'm good, then he will come back. And I tried to be as good as I could, but he didn't come back. See, what was happening there is he was lying to me, and the roots of that lie were growing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, here, here's some of the lies we believe. See if you can identify with any of them. Let, let me do a couple of them. Number one, have you ever heard this lie? You're not good enough. A anybody ever heard that lie? Yeah. You're not good enough. In fact, I'll tell you what happened Friday night. Friday night, we probably had 150, 160 people in the building. And I'm sharing vision about all the new opportunities and all the things we're going to do. And people are cheering and clapping. But while people were cheering and clapping, I promise you, there was at least one person, probably two, maybe 10, maybe a dozen, maybe 30. There were some people in the room that were saying, this all sounds good, but I'm not good enough to be involved in the great things God is doing. And I've come here to tell you tonight, it's a lie. Now, you'll hide behind prettier excuses like, well, I'm just too busy. Oh, I just really don't. I don't know where to plug in. Can I tell you once and for all, God said you're good enough. You are good enough. He sent his son Jesus to die for you. And he has a plan and a purpose for your life. Can I get an amen, right? Right. How about number two? Number two is you'll never change. Have you ever heard that? Man, I'm 60 years old now, and I'm still falling into the same, and the devil will lie and say, you'll never change. You'll never change. And part of the reason you've never changed is because you believe the lie that you'll never change. What if you walked out of here going today, I am a new creation in Jesus Christ. Here's the third lie. The third lie goes something like this. Because my parents were fill in the blank, I will be too. Because my dad was an alcoholic, I'm going to be too. Because my dad messed around and, and, and had affairs, that's just the way I am. It just runs in our blood. Number four is my unhappiness is someone else's fault. How many know that's a lie? If you believe this lie, you're going to be sad sack all the time, everybody. You're just going to always be down. Uh, my unhappiness is if I had a better wife. If I had a better husband, if I had a better, you know, my boss is a, <laughs> and my unhappiness is someone else's fault. No, you have to choose that on your own. Let me give you a couple more. Number five, I must have everyone's approval to be happy. I must have everyone's approval to launch. I must have everyone's approval. You don't need anybody's approval. You need you and God, and you and God are always a majority. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen? 
Come on. If you're waiting for your family to agree, my family criticized me because I wanted to go into ministry. If I would have waited for my family to say, we think that's a good idea, I would still not be in the ministry today. All right? Number six, I'm only as good as what I do. I want you to know that's a lie. I bought into that lie for a long, long, long time. Now watch this. When we believe the lies, our heart is foolish and our heart is unwise. Then our decisions are foolish. And, and, and who we date and where we go and things we do can be foolish and unwise. Uh, and our thoughts can be foolish and our emotions can... And, and, and you get the picture, right, everyone? That's why... We need truth, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Amen. That's why we got to have, we don't show up to church just for fun. I hope you're having fun. <laughs> we don't show up to church just because to see our friends. I hope you see your friends. We show up to church because it's the truth bank, and the truth combats all the lies that we've been listening to, and it combats the foolish heart. Right, everybody? Come on, let me do one more. Our heart becomes foolish when, number three, shame takes root in our life. Now, I dealt with shame pretty in depth uh, in the last series, so I won't re-preach all of those things. But let me just repeat a couple sentences. Shame and guilt are very different. Guilt says, I did something wrong. Shame says, I am something wrong. Therefore, it makes it, guilt is behavior-based. If I change the behavior, I get rid of the guilt. But shame, it's belief-based. It's just what we believe about ourselves. So, so let, me, let me just share a couple signs that you need to watch out for for shame. I didn't do this in the last series, but here's some of the signs of shame. Because there, there might be some shame, but we don't want the shame to take root. Because what happens then is we make every decision filtered through the foolishness of shame. When the Bible says, there is now therefore no shame. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Come on, aren't you glad for that? I didn't say what you felt like. I said what you need to proclaim. Right? So here's some of the signs of shame. Those that are dealing with shame that are growing roots is they avoid relationship. They avoid community. They avoid transparency. I don't have these. I just added these. All right? Number two is they, they tend to suppress emotions. Have you ever talked to somebody and it just looks like deadpan? Right uh, now, I'm not saying everyone like that. There's different personality types, so so don't start pointing fingers. But they they, they tend to suppress their emotions. Uh, conversations can be very superficial. How's the weather? The weather's good. How are you? I'm doing good. Okay, see you next year, same time, same place. Right, right. It, it's kind of like that. Number three is is that when there's signs of shame, there there's this feeling of undeservingness worthlessness. In fact, if there is some success, we'll self-sabotage to come down to the level that our shame has grown into our lives. Mm. Or, or, or let me just do one more. Uh, shame, signs of shame is that we'll settle. Um, we don't chase for the things of God. We don't chase for the dreams that God has for us. Okay, you guys got the picture on that? Okay, so those are some things. Our heart gets foolish when, and that's not an exhaustive list, but here's what I want to leave you with. How do I find healing for the foolish heart? Two simple points. <laughs> they're simple to preach. They're harder to activate. But how, how, how do I find healing? Number one, it's gonna, you've heard me preach it. It's just gain wisdom. See, if my heart is foolish, what my heart needs is some wisdom. Right? Um, I, I need some friends that can speak into my life. 
I need some coaches that can warn me of the blind sides in my life. I, I need some, I, I have to be in church on Sunday. I've got to be in life group. I've got to be with other people because I know who I will be and what my proclivities are if I'm left to my own. Mm-hmm. Just keep looking straight forward like you don't know what I'm talking about. it's it's things that we say in church that sound like people take it as religion, like you have to read the Bible. You don't have to read the Bible. You get to read the Bible. But where do I gain wisdom? From the news? No. (laughs) From social media? Absolutely not. Where do I find truth? God is the truth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, right? It's the truth of God's Word. Come on. I'm glad you're here on Sunday, but what does Monday look like? What do I get, 40 minutes to tell you the truth when you've had hours and days and days of hearing lies all week? Come on now. We need God's Word. We need, the, we need Bible reading. In January, we'll launch again a Bible reading plan. In, in the new building, we'll have a resource center so you can get books because we want to put wisdom. Where do, you, where do you struggle the most? Read. Get mentors in those areas of your life. When I'm struggling with anger, I was talking to people that overcame that. I was reading books on it. I was, I was getting coaches on it through books and podcasts and, and in the old days, cassette tapes. Come on, everybody. We have all the information we need right now to gain wisdom in those areas of our life. Build some relationships. Get your crew before you get your crisis. Begin to build friendships and counsel in your life. I have trustees and I have overseers and I have elders in my life. They're all different boards that give me advice and help steer me and navigate through life. But here's the reality. You don't have to have an organization and you don't have to have a company to have a board in your life. In fact, they don't even have to know they're on your board. Come on now. Uh, You've heard me tell the story of Mike Klein. Mike Klein had three of his oldest daughters in our youth group. He had seven daughters. And finally, before I left there, he had one son born. And I watched Mike Klein. Now, Mike Klein was on my board because I was nervous. My, my son was like three and my daughter had just been born. I was terrified of being a dad. I'm trying to overcome a whole bunch of weaknesses. I'm trying to overcome a foolish heart and I knew I needed to gain wisdom. I put Mike Klein on my board. Mike didn't know he was on my board, but I watched him like a hawk and I would watch how he would interact with his kids and how he'd interact with those girls and how he would respond to them. I'd see them at youth activities and youth parties and And when we'd drop his kids off at home, and I would just watch him, and I would say, man, those are things I need to incorporate. I would watch his love, his care, his genuineness. I would watch him. He was on my board. Come on. For two things to be close, only one has to move, everybody. You don't have to have coffee with everybody in the world. You can have coffee with a book. Come on. You can have coffee with a podcast. You can have coffee with a sermon on Monday. Hello, somebody. Gain some wisdom, right? All right. Proverbs 15:22 says plans fla- uh, fail for the lack of counsel but with many advisors they succeed. All right, that's number 1 is gain wisdom. Number 2 and I'll leave you with this. Is you got to confess your shortcomings. You first of all you got to be willing to admit them to yourself. And, and if your heart's so foolish you don't know what they are, ask your spouse, they'll tell you. <laughs> if you're not married, ask a best friend. Say, look, I love you enough and I trust you enough because you're my best friend. What are my blind spots? Where do I have a tendency to fall down? 
What are the things that I keep tripping on? I, I need to do better. I'm trusting you as my friend. Break it to me gently, but show me my blind spots. Confess to me. That's what real friendship does. We all need them. I said we all need them. And by the way, you're not meant to be good at everything. God didn't wire you to be good at everything. Come on now. Proverbs 28, 13 says this. People who conceal their sins will not prosper. Did you hear that? People who conceal their sin, their shortcomings. But if they confess, there it is. If they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. You've heard us say this many times in this church. You're only as sick as your secrets. No, everybody doesn't need to know your secrets, but somebody does. Somebody needs to know the devil that you dance with. Somebody needs to know the problem that you're struggling with. Um, unconfessed sin leads to foolishness and foolish hearts. Uh, here's what happens. Unconfessed sin, we believe that it won't hurt us. And that's the foolish heart talking. The foolish heart says, oh, that click on that web page won't hurt you. It's not hurting anybody. <laughs> another sermon, another day. Sorry. Let me get You've heard us preach this before too, but it's worth the, the repeat as I close. There's two ways that we should confess. There's two directions we should confess. Number one is we confess to God for the forgiveness of our sins. The Bible simply says in 1 John verse, chapter 1, verse 9, I quoted a lot around here, but if we confess our sins to Him, He's faithful and just to forgive us. Isn't that a great verse? Lord, I'm an idiot. Would you forgive me? The Bible says he's faithful and just. Don't you look? There's no parenthetical statement. There's no asterisk. There's no read the fine print. No, if we confess, Father, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Please help me. He's faithful and just to cleanse us from it. Wow, that's good. Isn't that good? He chooses. But here's the second one, and here's what most of us don't do. Number two is we need to confess to friends for the healing of our sins. See, God will forgive us of our sins, but it's when we confess to our friends that we begin to overcome that same area that we always fall in. See, we're not falling in a hundred different areas. Most of us fall down in one or two of the same old things that we've always been falling in. And if we'll confess that. James says it this way, right here. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. It's when we confess to one another. That's why we need to be in relationship. That's why we've got to be in life group. It's not because we're trying to find something else for you to do. And by the way, do you know that if you confess that falling or that shortcoming with the person you're married to, there is a 93% chance uh, of success of overcoming that because that's the person you know the most. That's the person that knows you the most. Woo! I just opened a can of worms. Let's keep on moving. As a pastor, every time someone says, I need to confess something that I've never told anybody, ooh, I get up on the edge of my seat. Because I know in that moment, I know there's about to be a major breakthrough in their life. That's the power of relationship and friendship. And um, uh, moments of confession, they're the hardest day. But they're the best day.
Do I need to tell everybody? Absolutely not. Don't confess everything to everybody, but confess something to somebody. Now let me leave you with this little nugget. One of the marks of spiritual maturity that I've discovered in life is a short time span between sinning and confessing. You know how preachers get up and say, you know, I used to struggle with, and they act like it was when they were six months old. Yeah, you ever been around somebody? Yeah, I know what it's like. I used to struggle with, and they give some vague years ago. Spiritual maturity is a real short time span between when I messed up and when I told somebody I messed up. Because all of a sudden, next time I'm on the verge of messing up, I'm like, oh, doggone it, I got to go tell that person as soon as I get done messing up. <laughs> so maybe I won't do that today. Will you receive that, everybody? All right, would you stand with me all over this place?